Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. On today's show, we give it a rest already. Not really, but you'll learn why I said that in a second. If you're brand new to the show, here's what we're all about. It's a podcast talking with some of the most interesting and exciting brands out there about how they're mobilizing their masses to become more authentic. And I hope you tune in to our backlog of episodes. I've done about 100 to this point, but today you are going to hear from Purple and their VP of Brand and Executive Creative Director, Burke Morley. Now, you may have first run into Purple in the same way that I did through a few viral ads on social, but today the direct-to-consumer mattress company has certainly grown up and at well over a billion dollar valuation is starting to leak into other areas of play. What I didn't know about this company is that it's based on technology, which is actually present in a bunch of other products. It just so happens that mattresses is where they really caught fire. And Burke has been thinking about things in two dimensions. Number one, how to tell stories of sleepers and incorporate them into the overall message. And two, from a creative side, just thinking about ideas. It's a little meta having ideas about having ideas, and you'll learn more as we get into the conversation about that. But plenty of disparate industry experience has led Burke to this point, and there's a common link between them all of sensory experiences, which we'll also get into. And towards the end, as you already know what's coming, if you're an old listener, advice on how to build a more authentic brand. So it was really exciting to have this conversation, especially a brand that, that I had seen authentically, and now one which I get to talk about authentically. And now I'll let you hear it. So without further ado, here's today's episode with From Purple, Burke Morley. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm here with Burke Morley from Purple. Burke, how you doing? It's great to talk to you. Thanks, I'm great, Adam. Appreciate you having me on. I want to talk real quick at the very top about your journey to this point. Uh, Purple is a very interesting brand to me. I saw it a couple of years ago, as I'm sure many did, with a rather viral social campaign. But of course, times have changed. The era of the startup mattress, I think, is somewhat sunsetting and now a billion dollar plus brand. I want to get into the intricacies of all that, as well as your specific capacities at Purple, because it seems really, really broad or, or just lots of different disciplines. I want to get into that in just a second. But the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about let's say to continue the wordplay here, what woke you up to the opportunity at Purple? And the reason I ask that is because you have vast background within apparel and within media and within food even, a couple of years at Sonic prior to this. And it makes me wonder, all those different industries land you at Purple, how? And is there a link between all of them? Yeah, so it's a great question. It's kind of a bit of a funny story. So um, my roommate from college was actually the in the same role that I, I am in currently before I was. Um, so I was aware of the brand and I was aware of what they were doing. Um, I had been, um, I kind of returned to Utah where I grew up. I hadn't lived here for about 16 years. I was out doing, um, working with some really great brands and doing some really fun work all over the country and even internationally. And uh, I was here in Utah doing some consulting. And again, I had met Purple and the team and even the, the new CEO, um, Joe Megabo, when um, when my friend brought me in and kind of met the team and everything. And I think that put me on the radar as my friend moved on to new opportunities. Um, the CEO and I started talking and we really had a very similar view and vision of what for what Purple could be. Um, and it was kind of time for Purple to grow up a little bit. You know, they had been 
very fortunate to kind of catch lightning in a bottle with an early uh, campaign called the Goldilocks campaign. And it was kind of one of the first infotainment style ads, long form um, characters kind of talking with quirky humor, and it did incredibly well for them and it really blew them up. And so it was time for Purple um, to kind of take that next step into becoming um, a brand that was a little bit more premium, a little bit more um, female friendly. And so that's really why I was brought on is to figure out what the brand strategy was and then also to how to bring it to life on the creative side. And so I think the thing that was most appealing to me about Purple was the fact that they were in a really interesting place in their brand life. You know, they had a good idea of who they were um, in the past and they had this great heritage of that, you know, that people cared about, people were aware of, you know, they had well over a billion views online and it was in a, in a stage where it was kind of like positioned to take that next step. And so I love, I kind of love all the different stands, uh, sorry, the different, um, the different stages of brands, but I really love that they were in this kind of, I call it the awkward tween phase where there's some really good things going on, but some awkwardness going on. And I just love the challenge of trying to figure out, okay, we know where we were, but where are we going to go to next? And you've got this challenge now, this question of growing up a brand as not only the VP of brand, but you're also the executive creative director. Now, when I see that sometimes at brands, those are two different things. What, what inspired the team? And, and then, of course, and folks, you can go to Burke's LinkedIn right now. He's got a whole bunch of other stuff across PR and comms and social. All of that bundled into one lead into a CMO role? Or what was the idea behind that? Yeah, so early in my career, I, um, I really had this idea of just getting as interesting as possible. And I really had this idea of like, I wanted to have as many weapons in my arsenal of storytelling and branding and marketing as possible. And so I kind of just said yes to stuff. And that took me all over the place from Pittsburgh to um, Guadalajara, Mexico, Austin, Texas, Beaverton, um, Oregon, Oklahoma City, and all these, all these different places. And because I was able and willing to kind of bounce around and get all these different experiences, it kind of gave me this, this broad... Um, view of the world. And so for me personally, I love the process of the strategic side of things, but I also love the creative side of things. And the reason why is because to me, the strategic brand strategy of, of kind of figuring out um, a brand is critical. And I like to, I love the process of going beyond observations and getting into insights into what is really relevant to the consumer for that brand or for that product. And I call it the truth. And if you get down to that nugget of truth of what people really care about, the thing that's really interesting is not only does it tell you what to do, more importantly, it tells you what not to do. And it gives you that confidence as a brand to say, we're not going to do these things because it doesn't fit um, the truth that we have discovered and we, we've, we want to own. And I think for a lot of brands, it's very difficult um, to say no to stuff. Everything's so visual now. Everything's so out there for everyone to see with social media and different things uh, with the 24-hour news cycle. Everyone's seeing what everyone's doing, right? So it's tempting to say, oh, we should be doing that too because they're doing it. We should be doing this or that or whatever. And it takes a lot of discipline to say, no, this is who we are. We have confidence in this, in this nugget of truth that we found. And we're going to just focus in on this piece and we're going to ignore everything else. 
So that's kind of the, the strategic brand side. And then I love actually being able to bring that to life in a relevant way, in a way that people may not expect, in a way that um, no one's ever thought about before. And so really that yin-yang kind of um, combination is my favorite, um, to be able to kind of come up with a strategy and find that truth and then have the, the creative ability and team to bring that to life in a compelling way that people care about is really the best combination in the world. And really that was a, a big appeal um, for why I wanted to, to join the Purple Team. Let me ask then something because I'm putting together a couple of things here as you describe them. And as Purple grows up, thanks to your leadership, and as you think about these disciplines melding into one role, at least for today, what's that nugget of truth for Purple? Yeah, the nugget of truth for Purple, um, and we took a lot of time to think about this, is the fact that we are a true innovation company. Um, Purple's unique in that we have actually have a really rich heritage. We've only been around as Purple for about five years. So it looks like we're a startup that just kind of came out of nowhere. But the reality is our founders have been doing this for over 35 years. Um, Tony and Terry Pierce were inventors, essentially, and innovators, and they created the gel industry. So a lot of the things you see in gel, things like Dr. Scholl's and different things like that, were all things that they actually created. Um, and they initially, they were really in the licensing business, and they were licensing to Titleist and Nike and um, Jansport, um, like I said, Dr. Scholl's and others these gel technologies. They did a lot of toys with Nickelodeon and other things, Hasbro. And then um, they actually created a, uh, uh, a wheelchair and people said, this is great, except what we really need is something soft, uh, but also supportive that people can sit in a wheelchair for long periods of time. Because really the issue with wheelchairs is that people are stagnant for so long and it creates all sorts of different problems. You know, lack of circulation, um, sores and different things like that. And so that's where they kind of turned their experience in the gel industry and in the innovation space. And they started to create seat cushions. And um, as they did that, then they started to shift into actually making hospital beds as well. So they created this, this, um, this grid pattern using what's called hyperelastic polymer, which is something they created and invented. And then they made the machines to make basically these big kind of waffles of this uh, gel grid and it worked incredibly well for what they were trying to do they used it in hospital beds uh, for kind of the most um, the most needy and the most vulnerable um, people and it was really used for burn victims so you can imagine you want as little contact as possible you want a lot of airflow um, you want to have pressure um, support but you also don't want to have pressure points so um, it worked incredibly well. And then they thought, well, this might be something that everyone could benefit from. And that's when they shifted into mattresses. So one of the things that was really key for us is to identify the fact that we're not just a mattress company. That's where our focus is today. And that's where we're po putting our innovation into. But really, we're focused there because there's a lot more work for us to do in that industry. As you can see, um, you know, with how things have been going, we have a ton of growth opportunity and we want to continue to take market share. Um, but that's not where we want to stay um, exclusively. 
you know, I think about purple and its potential, and we want to earn people's trust in their bedroom with their bed, but then we also want to follow them into, you know, within their life, into the bathroom, into the kitchen. We want to follow them into the living room, and eventually we want to follow them into the car, into the office, and then we want to get on the plane with them and fly with them to other places and then be there in the hotel. Like, really, this innovation that we have and the ability we have to deliver comfort in a way that no one else can really opens up um, just a massive world where we could do just really an endless array of things. And we're kind of exploring that now, but we're really just getting started. So the key to kind of our, our truth is that we're a true innovation company and that's what we we're motivated by. And we're kind of ever seeking that true innovation breakthrough where we can really bring pe- uh, comfort to people. So bringing comfort to people uh, takes on many forms and sounds like you have uh, plenty of, of good uh, ideas as to where to go next is to create that uh, full full cycle of uh, purple uh, embedding itself into people's lives. It's sort of on that topic that I want to ask my next question because when I first saw purple and, and you mentioned it yourself in your description of getting to this point, uh, it was that Goldilocks ad. I think everybody saw that uh, scrolled by on Facebook. And how could I not? You know, I saw the egg test and I thought that, that was really interesting. Well, that was a hell of an idea to launch this business uh, into into popularity. But now I'm wondering, we're beyond that. As you said, you're growing up and you have plenty of ideas. I know you have a philosophy on this, so I'm baiting this a little bit. But in its simplest form, Burke, how do, how do you make good ideas happen? That's a great question. It's actually something I've thought a lot about. Um, Early in my career, I kind of felt like I was duping people, like I was tricking people into thinking that I knew what I was doing. (laughs) I thought it was an accident when I had an idea that that people kind of rallied around. I had some really um, amazing opportunities early in my career, Um, probably opportunities I wasn't ready for, but it gave me the chance to um, try some things without too much fear. And one of the things that was really interesting is I kind of have this idea that my, I'm trying to have an idea. um, Typically there's not any new, completely new idea. What I find is that typically for me, the best ideas or insights are actually a combination of ideas that are put together in a way that have never been put together before. And so what I found is, um, I like to dump a lot of stuff into my brain and I almost feel like my brain is a separate entity that kind of works on its own. And I'll kind of let my, I'll say to my brain, Hey brain, go, go work on this problem. It could bring me back some ideas, but I have to have a lot of resources for it to draw from. So it could be inspiration from architecture. It could be from sports. It could be from the car industry or from a podcast or the news or an artist or a documentary or anything. Um, and so what I like to do when I have a little bit of downtime, instead of just playing a game or something on my phone, I, I prefer to turn to like Pinterest or even Vimeo, or, um, I have a long list of documentaries that I really love. And it's something that I can dump into my brain. So I have a bigger reservoir of ideas and insights that I can draw from. And so when I need an idea, I can go to a Pinterest board and I can say, okay, let's look at all the stuff that I've been dumping in here and see if there's anything inspiring. And then um, I'm able to, to kind of associate those and put those together in an interesting way. And it's always fun uh, when you kind of share an idea for the first time. There's something interesting to me about I can take a thought or an idea in my head 
And I need to be able to share it in a way that's so compelling that I can actually plant that idea or that seed in someone else's head in a way that's so compelling that it actually makes them invest money, spend money, invest their time or their effort or their focus to bringing that idea to life. And they get so excited about it that they feel like it becomes their idea too. And it's kind of fun um, in meetings. Um, I'll actually see, you know, when you share an idea, it's almost like this little creature in my mind, right? So it's kind of born um, at first, a little bit fragile, their legs are a little, a little wobbly. Um, but as the idea grows, it kind of gets tested a little bit, it starts to grow and get stronger. And it's interesting, you could have a really good idea, but if it gets too much scrutiny or too much expectation not too early before it's kind of developed, you can actually crush that little idea and it doesn't have a chance to, to mature. At the same time, if you have a really strong idea, it actually gets momentum and it gets strength and people start to jump on board. And I can typically feel like there's a really good idea that we're talking about when other people get excited about it and they want to contribute to it and add to it. And that's how I think ideas are born. And it's one of the funnest, best parts about my job, my career. It's, it's just the best. To be able to set your mind on, hey, go, I think that's a really cool idea. Hey, just go, go go and tackle this for a while. And of course, it's not as autonomous as that. But you know what else is really interesting? That foundational thought that you have reminds me of a uh, reminds me of another of another uh, person that we've had on the show recently. Um, and listeners, you'll you'll have heard this uh, a week or two back. Uh, the chief marketing officer of Synchrony. Uh, Bart Schaller said the exact same thing, not the exact same thing. He just said there are no new ideas. And of course, he didn't mean there are no new ideas. He meant the application of those ideas. So good company to be in for sure. Absolutely. So let me turn the conversation a little bit from the creative ideation side, which is very interesting to get your perspective on, and turn to the brand a little bit because it's experienced explosive growth over the last couple of years, of course. And now as the arbiter of the brand today, you get stories, I'm sure, all the time, or there, there are stories that exist of people whose uh, sleep is improving um, thanks to Purple. And, and especially uh, with everything going on right now, who, who doesn't like a good night's sleep? Who doesn't crave a good night's sleep? And this, as a direct-to-consumer business, at least as it started out, is incredibly powerful brand fuel. And so... I want to learn about some of the ways today in which you're harnessing that brand fuel from your sleepers and, and perhaps ways in which you're amplifying it. Yeah, for sure. So it's been really interesting to see kind of how there's been a bit of a shift. You know, I think there for a while, it was kind of this idea that, that not sleeping was very admirable, right? It was rise and grind and I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of a mentality. But as we've kind of got dive more into wellness and health and things like that, you know, we're finding that that's great sleep is one of the best things you can do for your body and for your mind. And so I do think there's been a shift to where people are like, man, this great sleep is super important. And one of the things we're trying to help under help people understand is what is required for great sleep. Um, you know, you have to have the right temperature. If you're too hot, you're not going to sleep well. If you um, are in a mattress that um, has a memory and, and kind of sinks into where you're sleeping, and every time you move, um, you're, it takes a minute for your mattress to keep up with you or to catch up with you, that's going to wake you up. 
If you have pressure points, that's going to wake you up. That's what causes shifting and turning and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so one of the things we're doing is we want to give a platform for people to kind of tell their story of what the other thing that's really interesting that we've been playing with is this idea that sleep is not the goal, right? Um, great sleep is for something else. The reason you sleep is to go do something great, right? Um, it's in preparation for something else. And so we've been playing with this idea of what are you sleeping for? What is your purpose? And so we're in the process of building out my team um, and our influencer strategy to really give a way to kind of tell those stories and bring those stories to life because it matters and it has a, a major impact on people. And, you know, we're very, we're even interested in how does sleep or lack of sleep affect kids? It's something we don't talk a ton ab about, but I think, I believe that it has a massive impact on families, family dynamics, kids, how they behave, how they act. Um, so there's just a ton of, of opportunities for us to tell stories. And really one of the things that we, that I kind of believe is the fact that we have been, we did have so much success with like the Goldilocks campaign. You know, we look at ourselves as content pioneers and we always want to be pushing what's possible. Um, like I said, we were one of the first companies to do kind of the infotainment um, type ad. It's kind of become the standard um, for the DTC industry. So typically there's a lot of startups out there who do kind of long form ad with kind of a explainer video with some infotainment, um, some irreverent humor and things like that. So as the industry is caught up to where we're going, it's time for us to zag and to go to someplace different and figure out, okay, how do we, how do we evolve and start to storytell in a different way? So you have all of these people who are getting better night's sleep or their, their, their kids are getting better night's sleep and behaving better as a result. What are some of the ways in which those direct pieces of feedback are, are actually, are actually leveraged? I mean, the stories can be told for sure, but in terms of being a content pioneer, where does the, where does the consumer voice end up taking step on that pioneer trail or does it? Yeah, for sure it does. In fact, it's it's really interesting. So consistently for the entire time I've been here, and I believe ever since we kind of got that big burst, our number one driver of traffic and sales is referral by a friend. Um, it's much bigger than YouTube. It's much bigger than Facebook or Instagram. Um, it is our number one driver. I mean, the good news is and we're lucky that our product actually does a really great job. Once people try it, they tend to love it um, and they tend to become advocates for, for Purple. And they just feel this need to tell everyone, everyone else about it because it has such a big impact on their life. Um, so it's interesting that that's actually our number one seller is word of mouth. Um, I think for us, part of the challenge is the fact that people don't understand Purple. And people don't understand that we actually have a different innovation and a different way of um, creating comfort than anything they've ever seen before. And so when people see this idea of the grid and hyperelastic polymer and all this kind of stuff, you know, our job is to figure out how we make that compelling, but also clear in how they understand, like, not only what the product is, what the brand is, but what's the benefit to them. And, and we actually have to, we have this challenge of changing how people shop for mattresses because we've all been trained to think firm or soft. And by choosing firm or soft, you're giving up other things. You know, if you go too firm, um, then you're, you're giving up on comfort and kind of that, that 
that softness. You go too soft, you're giving up on support. Ours is different in that you get both at the same time. It's both firm and soft because it's a completely different product than memory foam. So we have a couple steps we have to do. We have to educate them on the brand. We have to educate them on the new um, technology and then kind of shift how it is they've been trained um, to shop for, for the product. And that's what we're working on now. And one of the things we're, we're really leaning into heavy now is show, don't tell. And what I mean by that is instead of talking about what it is we are or what the product is, let's show what it feels like. Let's get people really interested and kind of tap into that visceral reaction that people see when they see something very comfortable. And I want people to watch our stuff and go, I want to feel what that feels like. I want to touch that. I want to experience that for myself because it looks so inviting. I couldn't help but notice a recent write-up in Adweek on this very topic. That idea that, and it came through, I believe, in a spot that, that you did in which that sensory experience was made as palpable as possible through a screen. And as that write-up suggests, but for the listeners who haven't read that write-up, it seems to rely pretty deeply upon what you might see in a spot within the food industry, which <laughs> you obviously know a lot about. Now, is that another one of those links, like I was saying at the very top between industries as to how to message and how to, uh, how to create those sorts of experiences through the screen? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a, an unexpected link, I think. And it's, it really comes, so when I was at Sonic, um, one of the things we wanted to do is to make our, our food as appealing as possible. And so we would have this measurement of what we called craveability. And we knew that if we reached a certain score in craveability, we could actually tie that directly to traffic to the drive-in. And so we started looking at this idea of what does craveability mean? So we looked at like crispy lettuce and tomatoes with little droplets of dew on them and all that kind of stuff. And we said, that's not actually craveability. That's freshness. That's a whole different sensation in your brain and kind of in your, your visceral reaction. And so we actually realized that craveability is really more about um, cheese pulling from a, a cheeseburger bacon sizzling on a, on a grill, um, you know, ice cream kind of dropping in and things like that. Things that were very, you could almost imagine exactly what Decadent. it smelled like yeah. and what it tastes exactly. And it became, we call it the lizard brain where it taps into this almost <laughs> like <laughs> lizard brain, the <laughs> lizard brain. Yeah. It's like that, that almost like, like I said, visceral reaction when you see certain things, like you can't help but it's, have like, your mouth it's like instinctual. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, we had this product that was all about um, sherbet and it's tangy sherbet. And we we're trying to figure out what's the angle, what's the truth of that product. And really it was that tanginess. When you say tangy, you say sherbet, you can actually feel in the back of your jaw, your little tingle happen <laughs> just by thinking of it, which is pretty powerful and pretty amazing. So when I joined Purple, I started thinking about this idea of craveability and started thinking about this idea that there's actually craveability associated with a bed, right? When you are getting ready for bed, or when you're really tired, you actually crave that feeling of getting into bed for the first time. And it's just, it, it's really taps into that lizard brain of like, I'm comfortable, I'm cozy, I'm safe, I get to stop, I get to be done, and I get to relax and kind of let down and let my guard down. That's a very, it's a very visceral reaction, similar to 
some of the things we did with food. Um, and so we, we actually talk about what are the craveable moments when you're interacting with a purple product, whether that's uh, a pillow, the mattress, a seat cushion or whatever, there are these kind of interesting craveable moments where you sit on, you go, Oh, that just feels good. There's just like this visceral reaction to it. Right. Exactly. And now that, now that I, now that I think about it, like, sure, I can, I, you crave the, that first, even if it's like midday, I mean, like I get it. The idea is you come home at the end of a hard day and you fall into bed and oh man, isn't that great? I just think about that. Even if you're like, especially staying at home now, if I'm, if I get off a call or something like that, I said, like, let me sit down for a second. Totally. I might go over to the couch, but I might, I might just like lay down in bed for a second like that you know, and then get, and get back up. So that, that's interesting. All right. Let me, let me round up with two questions here. The first one is you, you had mentioned this uh, or, or envisioned, I guess, as we started talking about ideas, all these different areas where purple could live for consumers. Obviously, there was a huge menu of that, and I'm guessing that in the long term, you all will attempt to get there. But what, which of those dimensions or which of those environments most excites you about where purple could be really, really additive over the experience today? I'm, I'm just curious to get in your head a little bit and not speaking exactly to a product pipeline or anything like that. I'm just, I'm curious. I mean, this is applied to shoes. This is applied to backpacks. It's now in mattresses and purple's going to extend that. I mean, wh- where else do you think that the, the tech really fits? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things that, First and foremost, you know, we feel like there's a lot more to do within the sleep category specifically. Um, there's a lot of in it. There's let me say different. There's a there's a couple of companies out there who are innovating, but they go deep on one element. And it's interesting to think about, you know, how do we create um, something that kind of supersedes everything that's kind of out there right now? Is a very interesting idea to us. And so we're we're we want to explore that and we want to do more within just the sleep, the sleep space. We've made progress, you know, as a true innovation company, one of the things that we, the way we define true innovation is I didn't know that product existed and now I can't live without it. And I'm never going back. Mm. You know, there was a moment with when Steve Jobs said, and one more thing, and he pulled out the iPhone. Right. That one more thing. People used to love that. (laughs) Right. And it's kind of like, I don't know what that thing is. I'm not sure what it does, but I know I'm never going back to a flip phone. And it's very few companies or brands that can actually deliver on that promise. And I feel like we can be one of those companies that can deliver that. You know, when we people sleep on a purple mattress, they say, I didn't know this thing existed, but I'm never going back to an old memory foam. And memory foam is interesting because it was a great innovation when it came out, but that was back in 91. And there's really been no evolution since then. There's been some things that have been additive to foam to kind of compensate for some of the, the challenges that foam brings to sleep. Um, but there hasn't been really anything that's been innovative or revolutionary, and we feel like that's what we are. So there's a lot of, a lot of room in the sleep space. You know, what's next? Um, you know, it's been interesting to see something as simple as our seat cushions really take off in this COVID area, uh, era where people are, like you said, they're stuck at home, and all of a sudden – your kitchen table has to become your office desk and your kitchen chair has to become your, your office chair. And you're sitting for hours on this chair that was not meant for that. Right. And so we've seen our, our seat cushion sales just skyrocket, you know, 700% growth and all sorts of these, these crazy growth numbers. And it's really because people are focusing on their home and it's been really, really good for us because we can deliver comfort to people wherever they are. So we can see opportunity to collaborate with other brands or other 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 companies. 
you know, we can see, you know, what does it mean to have purple on a flight? What does it mean to have purple in a car? What does it mean to have purple, you know, um, in a hotel room and different things like that? Um, you know, we're not really divulging what's next for us, but those are all possibilities. And it's really anywhere where people are looking for comfort um, is where we want to deliver and bring innovation. Hmm. Well, I look forward to seeing what what comes of that. And so then let's let's finish by turning from 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 the future to being right now. And it's a, it's our round out question. Listeners know what's coming. Berkey, listen to a couple of these. You might even know what's coming here, but it's it's our advice section. And it's the last question I always ask because the folks that listen into this show typically are emulating the journeys of the people that feature. And they themselves are brand builders and uh, aspiring founders, aspiring marketers, creative directors, things like that. And the end question really is what are your top tips on how to build a more authentic brand and more authentic relationships with consumers? But I'm curious for you if that manifests in advice you got from a mentor or some some idea that you had that caught fire and maybe it's something having to do with that or maybe it's a, a pitfall that you avoided. But I'm just curious and it doesn't have to boil itself down into one story. I'm just interested in some advice that you might have for our listeners as to, as to how to get started down that path. Yeah, it's a great question. It's one I've thought quite a bit about. Um, I would say a couple of things. So first, I would encourage people to figure out what it is that you are really good at. Not what you enjoy, not what you want to be good at, but what are you authentically really talented at? What do you have natural aptitudes for? And then figure out how your brain actually works. Because we don't, it doesn't work the same for all of us. What might work for me may not work for you. And just figure out how it is that you can be have those insights and those um, those ideas and kind of get to know how your brain works and pay attention to that process so that when you need to draw on that, you have an idea of how to kind of um, kick that into gear. I would also suggest to people, especially if you're young in your career, take chances, try stuff, um, swing for the fences. People are expecting you to kind of stumble and to, to, to fail a little bit. If you're early in your career, that's a great time to take chances and to go for stuff um, that's going to make you interesting. Get as interesting as you possibly can with experiences, the companies you work for, what you're doing, what you're building. And then um, I would also suggest that people realize there is no one else. You know, there have been times when I was in jobs and I thought, oh, someone else must be thinking about this. Surely they're not depending on me to think about this. And I realized one day there is no one else. <laughs> you know, it's, this is up to me to come up with the idea, to come up with the insight and to make it really compelling. And then I would say the kind of the last bit um, is, well, there's two more pieces I would say. One is go beyond observations and get to true, genuine insights. That really is what I said, that nugget of truth. And the nugget of truth typically is a very simple but compelling idea that people can rally around, get behind, and believe, and it's based in truth. And then bring it to life in a really compelling way, in a way that no one else has thought about. Do something first. Um, make, make a journey for people and just make it amazing, both visually and experientially. Well, those are all good pieces of advice, of course, to be to be following. And personally, as, as someone I'd like to think that pretty early in my career, that taking chances thing is uh, certainly something that's always top of mind. And so 
it's been great to have the firsthand experience of talking with you over the last half hour, roughly, about how that has molded your journey through different industries into different incredible roles all the way today to Purple. Um, it's also been great to learn a little bit about the business and where it's going, how you're telling stories and all that good stuff. So um, it's been a privilege and I really have appreciated it. And what else can I say for all of those uh, insights that you've provided beyond the observations? Uh, Burke, thank you very much for joining the show today. Awesome, man. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Burke Morley from Purple for joining the show today. I really enjoyed hearing about the journey to date, and I can't wait to see where you all go. And thank you for that advice as well, especially around the risk taking. I thought that was personally really cool. If you enjoyed today's show, here's what you can do. First of all, you can go to this website, podcast.vavoom.co. As I said up top, we got over 100 of these episodes out now. You might as well go see what the rest of them are all about. If you're a brand new listener, you got hours ahead of you. And if you're a returning listener, you can always follow us on social, LinkedIn. There's a showcase page there called Authentic Influence Podcast. And also I'm there. Connect with me directly, Adam Connor. Reach out. Like I said, connect, make a recommendation for what should come on the show next or what ideas I should pursue, and I'll probably pursue them. I'll be right back with another great story about how a brand is mobilizing its masses to become more authentic each and every day. And until then, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.